0: I wonder how many of you have kind of felt like that this week. It's been kind of a week, hasn't it? You've been living up this way, it has. You know, in the midst of all of the turmoil that the fire has brought to us, with uh, many of you being displaced, or for those of you who are directly impacted, trying to figure out if you should go or stay when the word came, and if you did, trying to keep track of everything or each other, Uh, I think it's probably safe to say that one of the things that many of us were impressed with this week is the significance and the importance of preparation. And I mean that on all kinds of levels. I mean there were fire professionals and helping agencies that responded in incredibly amazing ways this last week. There were families who, often without a whole lot of time to do it, had to decide what to pack in the car, what to leave behind, and uh, figure out where you go from there. And alongside of that, there were an incredible number of families in this community that opened their homes to people and made them feel welcome and safe and know that they had a place to go, and in probably a style that only Bill and Marie Hooker could pull off, if you've seen these pictures this week of uh, firemen sitting around their patio table drinking cold drinks and standing in their kitchen cooking spaghetti and enjoying their hospitality as hoses erupt their driveway and into their backyard. You know, it's, it's amazing to see the way the community responds. They even did the dishes, yes. It's a pretty amazing thing. But, you know, whether you have lots of times to think about it or whether you're having to rush through it at the last minute, clearly preparation makes a difference. It matters. When we know that something significant is going to happen, or there's a good chance that it could, or maybe it's already happening and suddenly it looks like it's going to impact us, we respond by preparing, by making preparations. And in the case of things like fires and earthquakes and floods and other things like that, we prepare by intentionally doing things that help ensure that we will have what we need, not just to survive, although that's important. You want to live through whatever the crisis is. But to also be in a position to continue to thrive, to be able to live well when the crisis is past. And perhaps if we prepare thoughtfully enough to be in a position to help ensure that it will be that way for other people around us too. Of course, under happier circumstances, when something good is coming our direction, preparation also involves being intentional about doing what we can to make that experience as rich and rewarding as it possibly could be. And again, if we prepare thoughtfully enough, We also want to help ensure that everyone else is able to enjoy the blessings and the benefits from whatever good stuff is coming our direction. It's part of what it means to live in a community. I think we experienced some of that this week. It's a non-negotiable part of what it means to be a Christian in community. And you know, interestingly enough, when we open our Bibles, we find that this whole idea of planning and preparing and getting things ready in some way it seems to be this kind of a thread that's woven all through the stories of scripture and keeps popping up over and over again. Preparations being made. You see it in Genesis 2 as it says that God actually planted a garden for Adam and Eve, prepared this place for them. Before Moses is ready to lead a nation to independence and freedom, there's a period of 40 years of preparation. Preparation during which, perhaps maybe as a supplement to his uh, passionate feelings about injustice, Moses learns what it means to be a shepherd, which is really what gets him ready to take on the task that God then gives him for the next 40 years of his life. We read about prophets that are sent to the nation of Israel in an attempt to prepare them for the work that God wanted to do in the world, calling them to be a certain kind of people with a certain way of being and living and caring for people about them that went beyond national interests and personal economic gain, but really cared about people and actually put that before all of those other considerations. Something we might characterize as loving God, loving people around here. And we also, as we read the story, discover it was a kind of preparation that was often resisted by the very people that God was trying to prepare. And of course, before the coming of Jesus in the most famous preparation of all, you find John the Baptist, embodying the words of Isaiah, being sent to prepare the way of the Lord, filling in the potholes in the road, as it were, smoothing out the high rough places, inviting people to change the course of their lives, if that's what it took. Inviting his hearers to begin to see things differently. Maybe from the way they had chosen or by the way they'd been conditioned by their culture to see things. So they might be more ready to listen and to hear and to respond to what Jesus was going to be sharing with them when they came, when he came. And curiously enough, this is kind of a theme that's been important to Adventists too, that even though we have sometimes distorted it throughout our history, we have often identified ourselves with the same sense of mission. Remember a mission that we've been talking about for the last month? HMS Richards used to talk about this on the Voice of Prophecy radio broadcast. Some of you who may remember hearing that. He would introduce the broadcast as the voice crying in the wilderness of these modern days. Prepare the way for the Lord. As we prepare for, as we anticipate the return of Jesus the second time. And of course, even as you listen to the conversation of Jesus with his disciples, in the upper room around that table just before the weekend of the crucifixion, the way he lowers their sense of anxiety, or at least attempts to, is to assure them that he's going to prepare a place for them. Preparation is important, it matters, it makes a difference. In lots of different ways and in lots of different situations, preparing has an important part in this big story that our lives are all a part of. But when we boil it all down, what it seems to be all about at the heart of it is simply that act of being thoughtful and intentional about how we're going to be, how we're going to act, how we're going to respond, so that we can have the best possible outcome in whatever it is that's coming, realizing, of course, that God is there in the midst of it all and it's honoring Him and making Him look good. That is what matters the most. And so then, in order to prepare well, it seems to me that there are a couple of questions that are worth asking as we do that. I mean, what kind of things will work well in this particular situation that we seek to prepare for? What will make things more difficult? What will help us not only live through whatever it is that's coming, but actually help us to flourish and help us to help others flourish? in the midst of it as well it's the kind of question that communities ask especially Christian communities as they contemplate and prepare for their future you know it's just a couple weeks ago it seems like now that the pastoral staff was sitting around working on our sermon series topics for the summer and deciding who is preaching what and how we are going about this and configuring all of this knowing that we would be doing this up to the time that John would be able to join us as our new senior pastor, which, as you've heard this morning, is next week. So that's coming, and we're excited about that. And as we mapped everything out, we discovered that we had this one open Sabbath between the end of our camp meeting series and John's first time to be here with us. And so we had an opportunity to kind of just pause for a moment and stop and say, what should we do with this time? What might we want to address on that Sabbath, which of course is this Sabbath? And as we prayed about it and thought about what might actually be a good thing to do today, what finally surfaced was that we thought this might be an ideal time for us to think together about how we might prepare for John and his family who are coming to actually join us next week. We thought about what it means for a congregation to actually welcome a new pastor into their midst. We thought about what it means for a pastor and a pastor's family to suddenly find themselves in the midst of a new congregation where they know almost no one. We wondered about how God might like us to prepare and how God might like to prepare us so that we are positioned in the best way we can to be ready to join in whatever those new dimensions of ministry and life together that will come with John and his family when they join us. And as we pondered this a bit, we thought, you know, what a great thing it would be if we could take just a few moments to listen to some of those people who have been over this road before, who know the terrain, who know what it's like, and to see if they'd be willing to share some of their stories and their wisdom with us. And after we thought about it a while, we decided, you know what, why don't we just do that? And that's what we've decided to do this morning, is take a few moments to let you listen to, as some of our former pastors share a little of what this experience was like for them. Some of them are pastors who've actually pastored this church before. Some of them are pastors, or at least one of them is a pastor, although they were never assigned here still has pastored this church in many ways and continues to. And we believe as we do so that not only can we find some insights that might be helpful to the Ciccarelli family as they come, but might also give us some clues as to what God might be up to or would like to be up to in our midst as we do that. It's a little different than what we normally do during a sermon time today, but we think it's still worthwhile to do. So we hope you enjoy or that you find this helpful. And so here's what we did. Uh, Dustin and I set up some interviews, most of which you will notice when you get to see them here in just a moment, take place in the pastor's study right here, which clearly is still in a state of transition. There are still boxes sitting on the desk that are waiting to be unpacked that have arrived just a little ahead of John, and so it actually tells the story the way it really is. And out of this couple of hours, actually, of some of the richest conversations I've had in a very long time, which unfortunately, due to the constraints of time, we're only going to be able to give you some excerpts from. We gleaned a lot of very, very helpful stuff. And we'd like to invite you to just listen in on some of what we talked about that evening, some of the stories, some of the reflections that were shared, and see if there's not something here that can be of helpful to us as we continue to consider what it might mean to prepare well for what God is about to do in the midst of this congregation as we kind of move on to a new place and as they begin the process of unpacking their lives here among us starting next week. And so enough of that. Why don't we go ahead and take a look at some of the interview here. It's the first segment.
1: Congregations welcome us. Hmm. Open their arms and made us feel taken in. Hmm. And that happened very early on in the first church we were at after I was ordained, the North Sacramento Church. We tried to to sort out how how does a congregation do that? Um, Well it's more than having receptions and though those can be very helpful. But there was something we perceived at that congregation and later on at other places that that's what what has happened here is they welcome us <laughs> somehow um, individually in ways that were subtle somehow they gave us a sense that we're really glad you're here well I think one of
2: the things that Calamasa did that was very helpful is they were very accepting and they were very accepting of the entire family I came with a wife and uh, four children, and I think every one of them would say that they were, they were very well accepted, they found friends here, and it was a very good experience for them. I think another thing that was very helpful is that uh, the Kalamasa Church um, was very open, uh, they were caring, and they listened, and they allowed for time for us to listen and to talk and to dialogue and to form a relationship. I think that is very crucial because a lot of times I think churches want to get down to certain tasks or topics or completion of certain projects or whatever it might be, and it just plain takes time for pastor and congregation and families to get in step and that's when you're the most productive is when you can understand each other, you have insights and then you can work in in step with each other. Otherwise there's a lot of assumptions and guessing that go on and then that's just not productive. The listening needs to go on for a whole year at least and it just takes getting used to each other all pastors have different styles and different ways of doing things and congregations have their own personalities as well it just takes time to begin to get acquainted with each other and to really understand what that means so you can begin to pull up some of your
3: best and begin to blend that all together it almost feels like people aren't interested in the pastor's personal life they're just interested talking about themselves and their lives and. Uh, I think a real blessing would be to, when there is, when there are the informal gatherings, just anything from spontaneously talking after church to potlucks or whatever, where church members would take the initiative to ask the questions and be interested in John and his family and his life, not just telling him about their lives.
1: I say, they were glad that we came. They wanted us to be there. And we weren't being compared to somebody else; we were just being accepted as who we were and who we are. At first, it's very helpful if
2: a if a church is not going to be comparing you with other pastors that they've had. And um, we don't always even know who those pastors are, or nor what their emphasis or gifts were, and we're being compared and the implication is that we need to measure up or do things like they were doing them. And that's very difficult to do and uh, it certainly doesn't bring out the best in pastors. I've had congregations um, where I felt that um, sometimes there was a hidden agenda or there were things that they wanted me to do for them or to establish or to kind of um, prove in some way, whether it be sermon topics or whatever it might be in the congregation, sometimes having a split congregation with uh, two different perspectives on one topic, and one side using you against the other. Certainly didn't have that here, but I have experienced that, and those kinds of things make it very difficult um, to please anybody, to make anything work, to make ministry happen. Gifts of the Spirit just don't work when you have those kinds of situations going
0: on. So, are you hearing it? A sense of being welcomed, taken in, made to feel at home, something that we clearly know how to do as we've seen this last week. The realization that this is not just a new employee in the church business that you happen to support occasionally by your gifts, but a family who has sold their home, who has changed the community that they live in, who has uprooted their lives in many ways, and has decided to come here and live among you for a while, live among us. And the realization that this is a relational thing, I think you heard some of that in there too, and that as all relationships do, it takes time to get to know each other. And it's okay to take time. Real people with their own unique gifts who have their own stories to share and who are worth listening to even as they take the time to get to know us. But in addition to some of the things that you've just heard, and by the way, these people were all interviewed individually. I mean, they were not all together in the same room, which is amazing to me because of the consistency of what they all said as we uh, listen to what they say. We thought it would also be significant for you to hear a bit about what it is that It's actually on the heart of a pastor when they make this kind of transition. Not just when they arrive here though, but as they continue to go about the task of ministry and figuring out what it looks like in this particular setting. We'd like to give you just a glimpse into some of the aspects of a pastor's life and maybe a pastor's heart that you probably don't often get to hear them talking about. And so we'll just let you do a little overhearing here just for a moment. Let's go on to the next segment. The
1: local pastor is, I would, I would say, the, the last generalist in a specialized society. There is a certain message. How do you do that? And you go to bed, you go to bed every night with your work not done. Yeah. You know that. Now, the thing that I've enjoyed about the classroom is that, you know, there's always the challenge, but there comes the end of the quarter. You get the final test, you have a few days where, ah, okay. But I hate for Saturday nights to end. Mm -hmm. Because Sunday morning, Sabbath's coming. That's right. Saturday night, sundown worship, oh, okay. There's a kind of special time in there. Randy Roberts and I were talking a bit about this. (laughs) There's a special time in which you look around and say, well, what should we do? Probably by that point you're you're, uh, weary enough that you say well we better get to bed early. (laughs) But there is something there's something about the, the work of the pastor is never really done. Which means you have to learn to pace yourself and to say Jesus called his followers to come apart and to rest alone. I think it's just important to realize for pastors
2: and congregations that um, you need to find balance in life and you need to back off And but there are going to be times in every pastor's life in which you're going to have to push pretty hard on something and you may not have too many choices but then there may come another time in which you're going to need to back off and help balance up life and that may be a week or two later you never know but you know crisis comes when they come and you don't always get to schedule
3: those pastors are notorious for not balancing their lives hey that's another thing Cala Mesa, um, let me live a healthy life I mean I'd say to John uh, look this church is not going to eat you alive unless you choose to let it to let it uh, and uh, and don't be afraid to stay healthy they'll support you doing it we all
2: come uh, with a high degree of motivation to be a blessing to help people reach their potential to work through issues and things in their lives to find a new quality of life both here and a hope for the future Uh, but the reality is that uh, while we're in the midst of all that we're often awakened to the fact that We can't make that happen for everybody and that's one thing I think congregations need to understand is that pastors do get frustrated with that because they want to be all things to all people and somewhere along the line you begin to realize uh, in your ministry to that church that isn't going to happen for everybody. Every pastor has a personality and then you layer that you might say with their life experiences, their life view the things they're interested in. And you put that together and, and realize that on any given Sabbath or any given meeting, you're meeting somebody's needs, but you're probably not meeting somebody else's. To know that one sermon may have been a home run and the other what you struck out in, it's frustrating for every pastor.
3: And uh, probably is for the congregation too. I mean, every, every pastor's got their kind of their their bent and their strength, and uh, uh, and and learn what that is, and capitalize and grow for it, and don't chafe from strengths you wish he had that he doesn't have. Don't uh, don't chafe against those. Just find out where he's gifted and and what his heart and passion is, and and be blessed by it and grow from it.
1: Recognizing that we're in this together. I remember one time being in the market at Loma Linda and a person from the University Church came down the aisle and said to me, oh, do you go to markets too? And I wanted to say, oh, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I eat and sleep and do all the things that you do. But a congregation recognizing that this is one of us, this is not one up there, but this is one of us called to to share with us the journey. It seems to me like that, I'd I'd want a congregation to keep that in mind, realizing that any, any contact that we have with one another, with our congregation, with any person, the real call in that contact is to together turn to God. in in prayer, not necessarily down on our knees, but in realizing that He is the one with whom we have to do. Over the course of years, I think
2: congregations need to look at not what they want in a pastor so much, but what do they need, and they probably can't get a picture for that in just two years or even five years or one pastor's tenure my guess is they're going to have to look at 10 to 20 years of pastoring to see how that all balances out i hope as people look back at my tenure here that people would say you know art had a place in the whole scheme of things I know when I was here I didn't meet everybody's need and I didn't make everybody happy. I don't like that and I, you know, I think all pastors try their best to do that. But how does it work out in the whole scheme, let's say, of 20 to 30 years of pastoring? A lot of people are here for a good 20 years, I can think of many people in this congregation. So how does that balance out life and healing and what needs to take place in their life? i hope i had a part to play in that and um, i hope that it gave something to let's say the diet that a church has over a course of time i'm naturally going to be emphasizing something differently than the pastor after me or the pastor even after that i don't always even know how that's going to work out but hopefully over a period of time those things work out and make for the strengths in a church, make for the church being a healthier, happier church over a period of 5, 10, 15, 20 years.
0: So as you're listening, a lot of ground that they covered there in this couple of minutes there. That very real sense of a work that is never fully completed, punctuated by other people's crises that can be quite intense sometimes, it consume not only a lot of time, but emotional energy. And in the midst of all of that, realizing that you can't do it all. You're not going to satisfy everyone. You're not going to be able to do necessarily what that person needs. Something parishioners can at times can be only too eager to point out to you, I might add. We can all show you the singe marks from those days. Particularly when uh, someone feels offended or that somehow that their cause was not dealt with the way they hoped it would be. And in the midst of all that, the challenge of trying to stay healthy and balanced and maintain a sense of integrity even when it's not easy. It's it's challenging. It's what we're calling him to do and to come and be a part of in this group of people. You can also hear them reminding you that pastors are simply just real people like everyone else, sharing the journey as best they can. And that it's not in the short-term stuff, the quick flash in the pan, short-term successes but over the long haul that real spiritual growth happens as we continue to work alongside of each other and grow alongside of each other with all of our strengths and weaknesses as we struggle to become the kind of people that God is inviting us to be. Well, finally, towards the end of our time that evening, we, uh, we asked them if there was anything that they thought that uh, if they had the opportunity, they would say to John and his family as they were coming to, to join us here. It was interesting what they had to say. Let's just listen in quickly to the, a couple of short comments they made.
1: I'd say, hey, welcome, John. We're glad you're here. Um, we begin a process of getting to know one another. Mm-hmm. won't happen instantly. We're looking forward to sharing the journey. Um, i like to know your story and know that you'll listen to our story he's coming to a
2: church that where he will be blessed that's very um, open that um, loves to be innovative and meet the needs of not only the congregation but also the community and i also think i want to pass along to him that it's a healthy church and i think that's one of the reasons i'm still attending here is that I found that a very healthy church, and not all churches are healthy, but this is a church that knows how to be serious when it needs to be serious, knows how to play, how to have fun, how to balance things out in life, and that is extremely important to a pastor coming in. So I think if he'll look at it in that way and to his wife and to his family,
3: uh, he couldn't come to a better place. When I was called to Cala Mesa, before I had accepted the invitation, why a couple of people said look there are some really there's strongly leadership there so much so that um they may lead more than you lead and i don't know whether you want to go there and i said i think i'd like that problem <laughs> and i remember Mick their line he'd say hey there go my people and i've got to catch up with them anyway uh, i i would i mean my, my knee-jerk response would be to say to john ciccarelli this is a remarkable church family and trust them."
1: this is a, a great place i'm thankful for the wonderful church we have It's not static, it's not, you know, we have our greatest service for God, our greatest acquaintance with Him is still ahead, but there's something that warms my heart just to sit here in this place and say, "Oh, okay.
0: It's a neat thing when people who have pastored here before find this a place that they'd like to continue to be a part of. That's a pretty amazing testimony to this congregation. Well, finally, one last little clip that we'd like you to to be able to reflect on is we also asked these folks, so if you had the opportunity, what would you like to say to this congregation directly? What would you like to tell them? Let's just go ahead and catch that right now.
2: I think I want to say to congregations that pastors are human. And they will come with their idiosyncrasies and not even be aware of them and to try to realize that um, they're going to give it their very best and they want to do their very best, but they're not always going to be at their very best simply because they're human. Be patient with that. Always look for the strengths. We all have our stretches, but um, try to capitalize on the strengths and realize that the stretches and the weaknesses will probably
1: take care of themselves over the years. Whatever you do, open your heart and and welcome this family, this pastor, his wife, and children. Welcome them into your heart, into your life. Don't get caught in a trap of comparison or, or advice giving. Begin a journey in your own mind and heart, deliberately, looking to getting to know and to share the walk with Jesus in which this pastor is involved and in which he and the staff are eager to lead us.
0: Comparisons and agendas aside, the invitation to just open our hearts doesn't sound very complicated. Realizing that pastors are real people too, And that more than anything else, ministry is, in whatever form it takes, it's a relational thing. It's about real people committing their lives to something that matters. You know, we get a little glimpse of this in the way that Paul puts it, I think, as he shares actually a little of his pastor's heart and some of his final comments to one of the congregations that he cared for in chapter 4 of Colossians. Just listen a moment to what he says. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise, and let your conversation be always full of grace. And that is really what is at the, the heart of our hope as we continue to respond in worship to a God who draws us into his embrace and welcomes us, that in our ongoing prayerful conversations and the lives that we try to live and the preparations we try to make, that they might be ones that reflect that we are being shaped by that grace that we've received. As a family you continues to open its heart and extend that sense of welcome and embrace, not only to each other, and not only to John and his family who are joining us, joining us next week, but to the community that we find ourselves in the midst in and those people whose lives we touch. Loving God and loving people together. Perhaps when everything is said and done, that's the best way to make the preparation that we need. Father in heaven, we have listened to conversations this morning. We have thought about what it means to minister and to be a congregation. And yet, as we have just sung, we know that uh, the bottom line is, is it's not about us. It's not even about John and his family next week, but it's about you. And uh, we just respond to you this morning knowing that the best preparation comes from, from seeking you and allowing you and your grace to do that work in our lives that make us the kind of people that make us family together that make us a congregation that has an impact in the community around us and that moves us toward your fondest dreams for what you want to do in our lives and in this community. We are grateful for that graciousness that continues to surround and embrace us this morning, and we celebrate that in Jesus' name.